Grab your Bible and open up to Romans chapter 15. So I feel like we're crossing a, a bit of a, a finish line for a marathon this morning. This is the last sermon in the book of Romans. And we've been in Romans for a while, uh, at least by Edgewater standards. We started this book in, I think, the second week of January. So we're at about six months now, which again, by Edgewater standards, is a pretty long sermon series. We tend to fly through our the books, but um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a, a really good and fruitful series, and uh, and I just I can't believe this is it. Uh, I've grown so much to love studying and preaching through the Book of Romans. Um, I was trying to to write out, and and this actually came to me at about one a.m. I woke up and I was like, I want to write out just this summation of what the Book of Romans is about. And I really thought about getting out of bed at one o'clock to do it. And, uh, and then my, my body got the best of me and said, no, get up early and try to do it. And then I did. Um, and, I, and the more I tried to write it out, the longer it was getting. And I was like, I can't, ah, I'm terrible at summarizing things. So, uh, but I'm going to try, okay, bear with me. I want to try to give you like the, the two-minute summation of Romans because I think it's important for us to, to be reminded of kind of where we're at so we can land the plane today, all right? So, so what has the book of Romans been about? I would say this, it's, it's all about the gospel, right? It's all about the gospel, which is the good news that God has brought about a way for salvation for mankind through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And that, that message is the power of God for that salvation. It is God's work by sending his son and by drawing us to himself and by f- making our righteousness be found holy in the righteousness of his son, because we didn't have it in ourselves, it's all God's work to make all of that a pleasing and acceptable offering for him to grant it to us, to open our eyes, to see our need for it, to give it to us as a gift by his grace, holy by trusting in him, by faith. And so we learned as we've gone through the book that, first of all, we need this gospel because all of us are sinners All of us fall short. We are rebels. We have turned our backs on God. We have denied him. We have set ourselves up as the primary objects of worship in our own lives. Uh, Rather than him, though he is the creator, though he is worthy of all praise, we we suppress that truth. Uh, Some of us have, have, have recognized that well, there is a God that needs to be worshiped, but rather than worshiping him as he's desired, we've tried to worship him in our own strength. We've, we've devised religion and put rules and followed regulations and tried to earn our way to heaven. And God looks at all of these different approaches and says they're all missing the point. They're all sinful and wrong because at the root of them, they're depending on you. It's, it's your own pride saying that, that again, it's, it's your work that makes you righteous, and that's not true. God desired all along simply that we would come to him, look to him, trust in him as the one who can make us right. And so he sends his son, right? Just as, as through one man, Adam, we all were under this curse of self-worship and sin, Through Jesus, through the one man, the new Adam, Jesus Christ, we can come by faith and enter into the rest that God alone can give. And our, our, our trust in Jesus makes us secure in Him because when we're in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. He's paid our debt. 
His cross put our sin away. His resurrection conquered death. There's no condemnation in Christ. We have full assurance in him because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And we have this promise that God is continuing to draw all things back under the reign and rule of Jesus. And that one day, the kingdom will come, right? That's, that's the message of the gospel. And so the rest of Romans has been, now that that's true, and if that's true for you, if you placed your faith in Jesus, and what does it look like to live as somebody who's under the reign of Jesus? And we've talked about how we, we're new people. We, we live differently. We don't live for ourselves. We live for the, the glory of God and for the benefit of others. We, we deal rightly with authority. We deal rightly with people in our community. We deal rightly with one another in the church. We love one another. We serve one another. We live out lives that show what Jesus is like because that's what he did. He came to love and to serve for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so the, the gist of it all is, is really this. It's now that if, if we're in Christ, we have ministry to do until he comes again. We have that ministry of, of glorifying him by loving him and serving others. And so today, we're going to kind of land the plane on the final words of Paul in this letter uh, to this church in Rome to tell them what, is it, what does it look like to do that? How do we do that? And, and why do we do that? Why live this life of ministry for the glory of God? Okay? So that's our message today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word Lord, I hope I just did it justice, even as I tried to summarize the book of Romans. Um, Lord, we know that it is truly all about your son and the gospel and that, that hope that we have in Jesus, that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be made new people as we repent of our sin, we turn from it, we look to you, and by faith we say, I need you. I need the righteousness of Christ. Father, impress upon us that that's the most important thing that we could do. And in that, uh, what does it look like to live not any longer in, in, in a sense of enslavement or obligation or drudgery, but to live with joy, to be alive in Christ. Though the kingdom hasn't fully come, though life is still hard, though we deal with difficulty in, in, in lots of different ways, that we could still live as people who are alive with joy. That's my prayer this morning, that you'd encourage us as to what it looks like to, to glorify Jesus and to find our great satisfaction in that today. Teach us that. Draw us to yourself. Make Jesus our all in all. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So that's why I titled the sermon, Gospel Transformed joy. Again, everything's been gospel transformed something as we've been applying the end of the book of Romans. This is, this is about our joy. What does it look like to live alive with joy? And, and, and my subtitle is all of life is all for Jesus because I think that's basically what Paul's getting at. Everything's about him and in that is great joy for us. So having said that, I'm going to start off by saying something that's going to sound uh, almost counterintuitive, but true. And it's this, it's that ministry is hard work, right? I mean, we're called to be ministers of the gospel. We're called to live out this life that shows the world what Jesus is like. But at the end of the day, it can be really hard. Evangelism is hard work. Discipleship is hard work. 
shepherding people, bearing the burdens of their grief, uh, their sins, their failures, to, to, to get in the mud with people and to trudge through life with all that for the sake of, of gospel ministry, that's hard because we carry their failures and their disappointments. Even when we carry their joy and their celebrations, the fact of the matter is doing ministry is a lot to carry and it can be very difficult. It's not just hard work, it's just hard. I was looking up something because it made me think about it as I was processing that idea this week. What's, I wonder, what's the average tenure of a pastor? I always hear horror stories about how short it is. So I looked it up statistically. You know what it is? It's between three and four years. The average tenure of a pastor is between three and four years. And, and about nine out of ten of the uh, reasons why uh, have to do with some sort of burnout whether it's the pastor got burned out with the church and left or the church got burned out with the pastor and they fired him. But some, some form of burnout, about nine out of the 10 uh, reasons why that tenure is so short. Reminded me about something I heard Charles Spurgeon used to say to the young men in his pastor's college. He said this, he said, do not enter the ministry if you can help it. And he qualified that a little bit. He said, if, if there's any student in this room who could be content to be a newspaper editor or a grocer or a farmer or a doctor or a lawyer or a senator or a king, in the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. <laughs> and, and, and this is not really a joke. My wife reminds me of that counsel often. But, but here's the thing. As I was thinking about what Spurgeon said to men who are aspiring to the ministry, the Christian grocer or newspaper editor, or farmer, or doctor, or lawyer, or stay-at-home parent. Uh, they all share in that same God-given task of evangelism and discipleship, right, and ministry. So they, they share in the same thing that pastors share. Now, those are things that we're all called to be a part of. Ministry is a part of the Christian life. So here's the Here's the, the potentially bad news and all that. There's no escaping the hardship of ministry, no matter who you are, if you're faithfully living out God's call on your life where he has placed you for work and for uh, living and for building relationships with other. Ministry is hard, and, and if you're a believer, you're gonna walk through it. So here's the question, why do it? Man, what a bummer of a sermon so far, Bill. Why are we here why would we want to do ministry when you're charged with, with leaving here and going to work tomorrow as an ambassador for Christ? Why get up and do it? When, you, when you're sitting on the CTA train tomorrow and you're prompted to like share the gospel with that person sitting next to you, why do it? Or we encourage you to get involved in a community group. You know, do life with other people. Again, get, get in a place where you can be known and, 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 and you can know them and, and you can get into each other's nooks and crannies enough to actually walk through the mud together. Why do it? Well, here's why. Because there's also tremendous joy in it. There's also immense satisfaction and joy in doing ministry and and. and I think some of the highest highs, I know this, some of the, the highest highs in life are gospel ministry highs. Why is that? It's because God gets glory when people's lives are changed. That's why. 
God gets glory when people's lives are changed and God uses people like you and me as the agents of that life-changing work. And here's what I know to be true because the Bible tells me it's true. Our passage today tells me it's true that when God gets the glory and we're around that, the, the glory of God is my highest good and my highest satisfaction in life. John, Jonathan, I should say, he probably didn't go by John, Jonathan Edwards uh, famously said this. He said, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory and that these two are one passion. So, so here's the main idea of, of today's sermon. If I can get it to move, there we go. God is solely responsible for the fruit of gospel ministry. But I'm called to labor for him. And in that labor, I find my highest joy. And this labor and joy is to be shared by the whole body of Christ for Jesus' glory. Okay, that's the whole point of the sermon today. That's the whole point of the text. And I'm gonna show you in the text how I came up with that main idea, all right? Let's dig into it. And if you, if you like to take notes, maybe the first point you could call it this. My ministry fruit is rooted in Jesus' work, all right? And I'm getting that primarily in verse 17 here of chapter 15. Let's read it again together. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So I think the main idea of the passage is sprinkled throughout, but most notably located here in verse 17. And I say that because I see verses 16, 17, and 18 as working together to sort of create a triangle. All right, the top of the triangle is, is verse 17, this, I have reason to be proud in Christ for the fruit of the ministry that I'm doing. And then verses 16 and, and 18 on the, on the bottom and sort of support it. And let's, let's look at the whole thing again, and I'm gonna try to demonstrate what I'm saying. Start in verse 15. He says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. As you look at those verses, I want to ask you this. What do you notice about them? I notice this. I notice that Paul is talking about his ministry to the Gentile churches. And again, he's proud of that ministry. He's proud of the widespread fruit of that ministry. But as I look at those verses as a whole, I definitely don't get the idea that Paul is taking any credit for the success of that ministry. Did you notice all of the times that he talks about the work of the Trinity in this passage? It's about God doing this. It's about Jesus doing this. It's about the Holy Spirit doing this. Look at it again. He says it's because of the grace of God. He says, I am a minister of Christ Jesus. You are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's in Christ 
that I have reason to be proud because of what Christ has accomplished through me. The Trinity is all throughout this, getting the credit for all of the fruit that Paul is saying, I have reason to be proud of. So here's Paul's aim. Paul's aim is to boast in Christ Jesus in all of his ministry efforts. Another way you could say that would be say this, that, that Paul works in such a way that in his, at the end of the day, in his own mind, in his own heart, Christ gets all the glory. So when he says in verse 17, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, this is what he means. He means Christ is working in such a way for me and in me and through me that my work is his work. And therefore, my boast, and the only reason I have to boast in that ministry is Jesus. It's all about Jesus Christ. So Jesus getting glory is Paul's goal. It's his aim in life and in ministry. And that, I believe, is the main idea of this whole passage. All right? But again, I think verse 16 and 18 help give some specificity to Paul's understanding of that work and, and, and that work specifically to the Gentiles. Look again at verse 16. And again, I should start in 15, otherwise it's kind of in the middle of a sentence. He says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. God is using Paul, in other words, as a minister of Christ in a priestly service of the gospel. Now, that's an interesting phrase that he uses there because if we, if we know anything about the priestly service, we know that, that the priestly service uh, in the past, in the, in the Old Testament, was to make offerings for the people, right? You'd make an offering, a sin offering, a praise offering for the people to God. You'd do that on behalf of them, all right? But, but, but here's Paul saying, no, um, my offering is the people, I'm offering them as this ministry of worship to God. So he's saying, I'm the agent through whom the gospel is being proclaimed and demonstrated to the Gentile people. But all he's doing here is he's saying, I'm just a servant. I'm an agent. I'm a messenger. I'm a servant of Christ and his gospel. And what's the gospel? Remember, Chapter 1, verse 16, we said the gospel is the power of God to save Jew first and Gentile. It's God's work. It's God's salvation message. Paul has no credit in that. This is all about God. But he's saying, this is the work I'm, 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 I'm doing. It's his work. I can be proud of it, but it's his power. It's Christ's power that saves the people to whom Paul is ministering. That's verse 16. And then we move into to verse 18, and we, we could talk about, uh, so beyond sort of the evangelism of verse 16, where he's, he's doing gospel ministry, there's a discipleship element that continues in that ministry. And he talks about making an offering acceptable to God. And that offering is acceptable to God because by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, people are brought to obedience. So they're not just shared the good news of Christ that they might trust in him, but the discipleship element is bringing them all along to maturity, to full obedience. But again, it's not because of Paul's efforts. It's the power of the Spirit that's at work to sanctify 
the people. Verse 19 makes that very clear. How is this happening? It's by signs and wonders and by the Spirit. It's the work of God. Have I beat that horse enough? Do we get the idea? So this idea here, again, is, is Paul simply saying, look, uh, I do this, and I'm, I'm proud of what I do, but, but God does it. So let's ask this question again. I, I opened up with this sort of bleak picture of, of ministry being hard. Why do people sometimes face ministry burnout? It's because they forget that the fruit of ministry comes solely from God. Right? We forget that. And, 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 and we can wrongly boast, not in Christ, but in ourselves. Or maybe, maybe the flip side of that is, is that, that we feel the pressure to carry the weight of saving people on ourselves. And it just wears us down because we can't do that. But we carry the burden like we're supposed to be able to do that. And we get discouraged when the people that we're trying to see get saved aren't. And we're, we're feeling like we're failures. So we rise sinfully, pridefully, because we think successes are our responsibility. Or we fall into terrible spiritual discouragement all based on results that are not up to us. But here Paul is, is basically saying, look, look at, my, look at my ministry. And Paul maintains a faithful, steadfast ministry, even in the midst of, of very difficult labor, because he knows I'm just an agent of God. And it's God's work. And we can look at all kinds of passages throughout the New Testament where he says, look, you want to you talk about hard times? I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been imprisoned. I mean, people have abandoned the faith who were once walking beside me. If, if Paul thought this was on his shoulders, burn out. But he doesn't burn out. Because he remembers, this is, I'm an agent. God is faithful. It's God's work. And God will finish what he starts. Regeneration, redemption, adoption, sanctification, glorification, they are all works of the Trinity alone. Remember Romans 8? You can flip over there if you want to. The, verse 30 of Romans 8. And those whom he predestined he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those to whom he justified, he also glorified. It's all his work. So any ministry fruit that we might see is all rooted in Jesus' work. Now, being an agent is still a wonderful, glorious thing in the sense that Remember Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's an important thing to be an agent of the gospel. But you're an agent. It's all Jesus' work. And so that's the first part of our main idea. God is solely responsible for the fruit of gospel ministry. But there's more to it. And here would be our second point. My ministry joy is rooted in Jesus' glory. 
So my ministry fruit was rooted in Jesus' work. My ministry joy is rooted in Jesus' glory. Let's, let's, let's explore verse 17 a little bit more. I have reason to be proud that word proud can be translated in several different ways, and I looked at lots of different translations this week of the New Testament, and, uh, and I want to share with you some of the different ways that the translators brought that word into English, just to give you an idea of what Paul is trying to say here about his own joy. So in the ESV, he's, he says, I'm proud of this work. Uh, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, therefore, in Christ Jesus, I found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. In the New King James, it says, therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. The ERV, I kind of like this one. That's why I feel so good about what I've done for God in my service to Christ Jesus. New Living Translation says this, so I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. This one's good too. The voice says, so in Jesus, the anointed one, I have reason to celebrate the things I do for God. I have therefore reason to rejoice in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, says the Geneva Bible. And this is probably my favorite one, the Amplified. It says, in Christ Jesus then, I have legitimate reason to exult in my work for God, in what through Christ Jesus I have accomplished concerning the things of God. All right? So you get this picture that, that, that this, there is a, there's a sense of joy in what he does, knowing full well that it's God's work, but his being a part of it, even merely as an agent of that work, gives him reason for exultation and joy and glory. Again, I mentioned the priestly work that Paul mentions in, in verse 16 being kind of a strange thing, but it, 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 it says something about Paul's view of his ministry. Yeah, it's God's work, but for him, it's an offering to God. In other words, it's worshipful for him to do gospel ministry. It's worship for him to see people brought to faith and discipled. He sees the Gentiles as an offering that he presents to God, and here's the thing, and it thrills him. It absolutely thrills him to, to play a role in God's work, even as a simple messenger and laborer, is, 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 is part of the goal of producing maturity in the people of God. And for Paul, he says, that's awesome. That's reason for me to, to exalt. The sanctification and the obedience of God's people is, a, is an incredibly thrilling thing. If you've been involved in, in discipling anybody or sharing the gospel with anybody and you've seen them go from point A to point B, you've seen that arc of growth in their life, you know that's awesome. It's awesome to be a part of that. Even if you recognize this is all God's doing, God, you use me to do that? It's incredibly thrilling. You see life change. You see, you see someone who was once hostile to God and his people. And some of you were that way. Now suddenly you're here, you're in the body of Christ as a brother or a sister, and you love God, and you love his people. When you see somebody whose addictions have been eradicated, and some of you in this room, your addictions have been eradicated, and now God is able to use you to be a blessing in the lives of those who are still enslaved with what you once were enslaved by. 
That's awesome. It's awesome to see an entire family transformed by grace when a one-time either abusive or absent parent suddenly comes to Christ and, and is able to be a model and an example of love and security and grace in a home. I was thinking about all kinds of things. When you see a person who is completely identified by their sexuality or a pervasive sexual sin be released from that bondage and be liberated to say, my identity is solely as a child of God. I love that part of ministry. And I think Paul is saying, I love that too. I, I exult in this, to, to watch people grow in obedience to Jesus, to, to see people forsake the world, to, to let their material things go, to, to get bold in their witness, to be compassionate to the poor, to, to be sensitive to ethnic diversity, to want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth, to see people do that. That's the greatest thing that can happen. And I, love, I love how John Piper says this. He says, that's why in verse 17, it's, it's not stated in terms of mere facts. Christ Jesus then, in Christ Jesus then, my work has been fruitful. He says it's stated in terms of a deep experience of the soul. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud. I have reason to exult. I have reason to boast. I have reason to glory that my work for God has been fruitful. The aim of ministry, therefore, he continues, is not merely to prepare an offering to God of a holy and obedient people. It is to exult in it and boast in it and glory in it. God will not be honored in our work if we are not thrilled by his glorious work in our lives. So let me, let me say again what Jonathan Edwards said. God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory and those two are the same passion. So now we see the second part of our main idea. God is solely responsible for the fruit of gospel ministry, but I'm called to labor for him, and in that labor, I find my highest joy. Now you might say this morning, okay, but Paul was an apostle. Paul was a, was a pastor. I'm not a pastor. I am. You're not, right? I'm a church member. What, what role do I play in discipling people? Well, that would be the third point, I think, of what Paul gets at here is, 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 is A, my ministry fruit is rooted in Christ's work. My joy is rooted in Christ's work, right? And then thirdly, ministry fruit and ministry joy are shared by the whole church as Christ gets glory in all of it. Look back at verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. He says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God. Again, he goes on about being a gospel minister. But, but, but here's what he's saying. He's saying, my role as a pastor is to remind you of the gospel so that you don't just live it out individually, you are to live it out individually. This, this is tremendous individual application for you, but, but that's part of it. It's also that you learn how to be ministers of this gospel to each other. 
that you invest in each other, that you pour this knowledge and this goodness into each other for the benefit of the whole body of Christ. That's what he says in Ephesians 4, right? Verses 11 through 13, he says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is all of us who get to share in the exulting ministry of doing gospel work in each other's lives and seeing growth and being, being thrilled to say, this is awesome to be a part of it. That's everybody. By the way, I should tell you, as, as that sort of motivates me, uh, we're done with Romans. You want to know what's next? Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm excited about what's next for, for two reasons. One, about what we're going to be studying. We're going we're to spend the rest of the summer, nine weeks, looking through the gospel of Mark. All right, now why Mark? Well, because Mark does a couple things really, really well. It says, who is Jesus and why did he come? Right? So when we think about what it means to do gospel ministry, we need to know who's Jesus and why did he come? We need to be able to invite people in to hear who is Jesus and why did he come? Right? So that's part of why I'm really excited about it. The other part of why I'm really excited about it is that I'm, I'm actually going to take those nine weeks and, and, and giving out eight of those nine to other young aspiring preachers in our congregation to share the word with you. So that every week I, I get to do, do Bible study with and do sermon prep with somebody else and help build them up and grow them towards maturity as preachers so that every nine weeks you're gonna hear somebody else get up and share the gift of God with you. Because it's fun. And I exult in being able to, to invest in other people and they, for them it's fun to be able to invest in you and for you it's, it's fun to be able to, to, to support them and to learn from them and just be a part of all of it all together working for the building up of the body. It's awesome, right? So that's what's next. The point is this, God has graciously given us the local church. He's given us a family of believers so that in it, we can all not just share in the task of ministry, but the joy of it. The joy of it. So Edgewater, the, the word of God charges us with this, this glorious mission, each of us, of exulting in the, the yes, yeah, sacrificial, sometimes hard work of ministry so that we all play a part in the God-enabled, the God-powered, yet people-assisted, right? We're agents, work of seeing our community transformed, seeing lives changed, seeing the church built up, people sanctified and glorified for the sake of our King, Jesus Christ. And that's the final part of our main idea, right? God is solely responsible for the fruit of gospel ministry, but I'm called to labor for him. And in that labor, I find my highest joy. And this labor and joy, both, are to be shared by the whole body of Christ, all for Jesus' glory. 
Now, let me, let me just give you a final word on that because maybe you're asking this question, how does that happen? How, how do I get unstuck from that mundane view of ministry that you started with, Bill? It's hard, right? I don't, I don't, I don't always feel motivated to do ministry. I, I feel burdened sometimes by that. How do I get unstuck? What keeps me from feeling overburdened or tired or discouraged? Because can I, can I just assume you want to exult in Jesus? I do. Where do we start? Maybe we should just get out there and start doing more ministry. Well, yeah. But it's only sustainable when your joy is truly in Christ. It's only sustainable when your joy is truly in Christ. And that only happens when you love him more than you love the ministry. So start here. Get to know him. Get to know him. Pray. Talk to him. Read the word. I mean, Romans has been so helpful in this regard. We get to find about an all-powerful God who created us, who has an expectation for his creation to, to glorify him and, and, and yet when we rebelled against him and his wrath was rightly aimed at us, he loved us. He sent his son to, to redeem us, to save us. This is a God worth knowing. And the more we, we read and we, we understand who he is and what he's like and the fact that, that God is love and that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, the more I know him relationally and I trust that those things are applied to me because I'm his son. That's where you, that's where you get to exult in doing things for him because you know him and you love him and you love him more than you love the ministry. I, would, I want to just encourage us to seek him first, not just in obedience. Obedience is important, but in relationship first. Let me, uh, let me close with, by reading from Philippians chapter three. I wanna encourage you with, with how Paul talks about ministry and it being rooted in the love and the, the knowing that he has of, of his God. Verse seven of chapter three, Philippians. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Did you get that? How could he count everything as loss? How, how could he, he drudge through the difficulties? Because he knows Christ. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. God, I just want to know you. I want to press on to know you. And the more I know you, the more I'm going to want to reflect you. Because you're the greatest thing there is. Your, your glory is, my, is, is not only my highest good, but it's my highest joy. I just I want to reflect you. I want, to, I want to exult in seeing you work. I'm just an agent, I know. But man, this is it's the best to be a part of your glory and your work. That's what I was created for. Thomas Watson said this. He said, we must love God more for what he is than for what he bestows. And he's bestowed a lot, but he's so much more. And in so doing, Jesus gets all the glory. Listen how Paul closes Romans. This is how I close today. 16, verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, may you get the glory. And Lord, I pray that, that you, would just, you would just show us your glory in such a way, Lord, that we exalt in it. Lord, make us a people who, who radiate who you are because we're so filled with you, because we know you. Your son said, this is eternal life, that I know God, that they would know you, that we would know you. And so, Father, we want to know you. Thank you for sending your son to open our eyes to, to see you and, and for your spirit's indwelling work in us that he prompts us to know you. Thank you for your word in which you're revealed to us in, 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 in every wonderful way that you are. Thank you for the, the open access to the throne room where we can come in prayer and we can just talk to you. Lord, may you build us up to be a people who are so filled with, with you and in and through those things that gospel ministry, though difficult, and yes, Lord, it is difficult, would be joyful because it's awesome to see the glory of God at work. Thank you. And now, Lord, as we come to the table and we take the bread and the wine and we're reminded of your work, the death of your son for the forgiveness of our sin, may we exult in it celebrate this work. May we feast together as a family around this table in unity because Jesus has brought us together. All praise be to him. Amen.